You're listening to Let's Talk About This Yesterday, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness for various mental health and wellness issues. I'm Tam, your hostess. Welcome. It goes without saying that today's topic clearly hits home for me, just as much as the perfect combination of chocolate and peanut butter my favorite flavor combination of all time. Okay, yeah, a little ironic food humor here, but hey, I'm allowed. I'm a hostess. Okay, but on a more serious note, we're finally addressing the topic of eating disorders. Just to give you some facts here, approximately 1 million Canadians have a diagnosis of an eating disorder. Eating disorders are serious but treatable mental illnesses that can affect anyone, regardless of gender, age, racial and ethnic identity, sexual orientation, or socioeconomic background. Too many people with an eating disorder are never diagnosed, but suffer significant personal and family distress. While it is well documented that mental illnesses are a leading cause of premature death in Canada, And yes, I repeat, mental illnesses are in fact the leading cause of premature death in Canada. It is less known that eating disorders have the highest overall mortality rate of any mental illness, with estimates between 10 to 15%. Suicide is the second leading cause of death after cardiac disease among those with anorexia. 20% of people with anorexia and 25 to 35% of people with bulimia may attempt suicides in their lifetime. For females aged 15 to 24 years old, the mortality rate associated with anorexia is 12 times greater than that of all other causes of death combined. Yeah, serious stuff. And I do wonder how many of you may be alarmed by these statistics. Of course, there are other types of eating disorders other than anorexia and bulimia that are less known, and we will address those as well. I want to do this episode not only to inform those of you who don't know much about the illness, but to sensitize people as this is one mental illness that I find is, and I've said it before, maybe too many times, but very much misunderstood and unfortunately judged even as a question of vanity. Well, trust me when I tell you, it has nothing to do with that, and you'll see why, hopefully. Today's episode, I'll be doing a deeper dive into my experience with this disorder, with some excerpts from my discussion with José Lavigne, a Sudbury, Ontario native, who is the lead of the education and prevention component at ANEB, Anorexie et Bulimie Québec, Anorexia and Bulimia Québec, an organization offering hope and support to people suffering from eating disorders across Quebec and nationwide. She has a very interesting profile, holding a bachelor degree in fine arts from UCAM, the University of Quebec in Montreal, a year of study in psychology at the UQO, and holds a master's degree in art education from Concordia University here in Montreal. Over the years, she has specialized in working with people with eating disorders, as well as those who have developmental developmental disorders, such as autism. She's worked for the cause 
eating disorders on a span of over 20 years here in Montreal and the Ottawa region. This work includes working at ANEB as a coordinator for a closed support group and working for Hopewell Eating Disorders Support Center in Ottawa as a mentor for a young woman, woman suffering from anorexia. Now, if you all listened to my first official episode entitled, This Is Me, you may recall that this disorder first took its place in my life when I was about 11 years old, mainly due to intense and at times violent bullying for most of my childhood, as well as being brought up in a way that made it difficult for me to define and respect my own boundaries, mainly out of fear of loss and rejection. The disorder harbored itself discreetly over the course of my life until the scale started t- tipping for the worse starting in 2013 due to stressors in my professional and personal life with my ex-partner, as well as my family dynamic. When I think about it now, it's incredible how unaware I was about what was happening to me. I was going about my life on a very go-go-go basis, uh, as we all often are, just everything is at a fast pace, Um, don't see the time flying by. I was just going at a very intense pace, stretching myself thin for everyone and everything and not taking any time or very little time or moments to pause, to stop, or to realize that something else was going on underneath it all. I thought I was living the life I was meant to live. Little did I know that I was living with a false sense of freedom while anorexia was slowly chipping away at my physical, emotional, and mental bodies, literally robbing me little by little of my life. I was in complete denial and unawareness, which comes a lot with eating disorders. If you ask why it's so hard to get through to someone that you suspect has an eating disorder, it's because more often than not, they don't realize they have a problem themselves. And that's even more difficult when living in a society where the message has constantly been, thin is in. Think about it. No one congratulates you for gaining weight, do they? Or for eating that extra piece of chocolate cake. When the messages of such positive reinforcement for weight loss are so loud and strong, it's hard to know when you've crossed the line, when something is wrong. I may be repeating myself a little in this episode for those who listened to my This Is Me episode, the first official episode of the podcast, but I want to try to bring as much relevant information and testimonial as possible to truly make you, the listeners, understand the disorder And for those who are struggling with an eating disorder right now, to be able to relate and know that you're not alone. So if some of you have listened to the other episodes, and if you recall, it was very, very gradual, the weight loss, the the really drastic weight loss that happened since I was promoted to manager in 2013. And when it kind of all came toppling down after it had developed my CRPS, it was a day in the office in April 2016 where I got a comment that I looked like I had gained a few pounds and 
that kind of set me over the edge. I was already very underweight at that age, at that point. And that really made me realize that anxiety that I felt that made me realize that I couldn't even gain a few pounds at the time to get my menstruation back. That gaining a few pounds was worse for me than actually having a normally functioning body because I had not had my menstruation for, I think at that point, two years. There was really, I knew something wrong. And that's when I opened up to my sister who referred me to the Douglas. Now, I'm gonna, I remember very well, this is the first time also that I heard about Aneb. I had gotten in touch with the Douglas and I was set up for a phone interview. And this was on June 1st, 2016. I, I remember the day. And I remember taking the call. I was at the office and I, I went out to the, um, at the, I worked in the Square Victoria at the time for those who live in Montreal and who know it. And I went to sit by the fountain to take this call. And I was asked a series of questions by a girl, a social worker who was in training at the time about my weight, about these rituals, these, uh, well, at that point, I didn't know that they were rituals, but these behaviors that I was doing, I wasn't really understanding why she was asking all of these questions. But after she finished the interview with me, she told me, okay, well, I'm going to be presenting this to my supervisor who will evaluate, but know that the waiting list is about a year to be entered normally. And I just recall sitting there and when I heard that literally feeling because I was feeling like my body was giving out because I was feeling like something was not okay, that it was hard for me to just sustain a normal breathing pattern or a heartbeat. I thought, oh my God, I don't even know if I'm going to make it a year. That's how much I was suffering in silence inside. She did at that point introduce me to Aneb, referring me to that organization. Now, I did get admitted just a few months after because once she did present my case to the supervisor, they expedited my entry because of the health risk that I posed. But in the meantime, I was suggested to go to Aneb, which I had never heard of. So here we are to talk about the eating disorders, but to also introduce to you this wonderful organization and to see how it could help you and to see how it could, its role and what it has done for people with eating disorders and what it can do for you and for people who are your loved ones. So our first mission is really to help people who are suffering from eating disorders, any form of eating disorder. ANEB, first of all, ANEB Quebec stands for Anorexia and Bulimia Quebec. That's our first mission, to help people who are suffering and then also to support the people who are uh, around that, those people, so uh, family and friends. We also help raise awareness in the public in general 
and our partners may help as well people with eating disorders. We try to prevent and diminish the consequences of an eating disorder. And we also participate in training of professionals and also to help uh, with early diagnosis of especially anorexia or bulimia. What, why would you say um, early diagnosis is, is especially important in anorexia and bulimia? Uh, that's that's our that's our specialization. Okay, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. because we do we will get into that after of all the other types that there are. But yes, those are the For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's why but we do have we do. Uh, so that's one of the missions. But we do. All, all of our services are for anyone who's suffering from any form of eating disorder. That's important for the public to be aware of that, not just the more classical or the, the eating disorders or, that are most common or well-known. I did suffer from an eating disorder not otherwise specified as a, an adolescent and young adult. Uh, recovered, and I've been recovered for more than 20 years. Uh, obviously, as you know, Tamar, that when you you have suffered from an eating disorder, it's something if you have the chance of recovering that you forget in the sense that you can continue living, but it is not something that you can just leave behind, yeah. if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Um, and um, I also feel that it's very important for for people who are suffering to see other people who have suffered but who are doing really well and who have recovered um, to give them a little bit of hope. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's really important too because when you're so in the illness to you sometimes you think that there you, you can't imagine how you can ever get out of it how you could ever have a day that you're gonna be able to let go and just you know not think of the number on the scale or not think of all the rituals and all the the suffering that comes with it so when you see somebody who has gone through that and has recovered you think well it is possible you know i want to take a pause here and expand on rituals I think it's important to make a distinction between a ritual versus something that is routine. A routine can add much needed structure in our lives to keep our lives in order, while a ritual in the context of an eating disorder will trap you in a very rigid set of rules to follow, which we will expand on later on in the episode. It gives you a false sense of control as it makes you feel that you're managing the anxiety of the illness when all it's doing is feeding it. Um, okay, no pun in, intended there. Um, and any deviation from, from it, from the rituals, can cause chaos and agony in a disordered mind. For example, in my case, one of my biggest rituals was that I absolutely had to weigh myself on my own scale first thing in the morning. And I would have to go back on and off for at least three to four times to ensure it didn't change and that I absolutely knew what I weighed that day. That number was just so important and it was even more important to make sure that I knew it and that it was on the same scale because a different scale would be different, another number. 
it made me avoid staying over at friends' houses, and as you can imagine, it was difficult to travel. Another ritual was that when I had dinner, it had to be sitting on the same couch, in the same position, watching TV, in the same bowl, and not speaking to anyone during. It was the ritual I needed to feel in control of my weight and my food intake. No wonder eating out in restaurants or at friends' houses was something I had to literally mentally prepare for a week at least in advance. Does any of this make sense? Is it logical? Of course not. That's why it's a mental illness. It's not just a problem or a caprice as people could say and judge it as. And that's kind of the mistake that many of our loved ones make as they try to see it logically and when they can't, they get frustrated with themselves and unfortunately oftentimes with us. Well, I have to say, uh, well, first of all, congratulations um, on your recovery and to be able also to take that and to be able to give back to the to people who are suffering from it. It's not always easy. I think there's some people who kind of, you know, they recover and, you know, it's just too painful to kind of revisit that and or, or kind of want to stay out of that, which I understand. And then if, if so if you're able to also be able to help others, then that's yeah. really, really great too. Yeah, thanks. well, for you as well, the, the work that you're doing. And I think time really heals. I don't know about you, but so now I kind of see it in an objective manner, my, my past. Um, but I recognize the suffering that I went through and that people can go through when, you're, when you have an eating disorder. Can you talk to me then about what type of eating disorders there are? Because everybody does know about anorexia and bulimia, which even at that, the definition of that is not necessarily 100% clear to, yep. to, to the public, but there are also other parts. Um, I also ask if we could specify when it actually becomes a disorder, because some people think that if they have some, you know, I've heard some people say, Oh man, like I, I, I don't know, like I have a really hard time controlling eating sweets and I just love chocolate cake so much. I think I have like, do I have kind of like an eating disorder, but like on desserts? So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a bit more. Uh, yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> I think that you can have body image issues and perhaps or inclined to have uh, concerns about your weight or food intake or that sort of thing. But to go from a preoccupation to an, an actual mental illness, there's a large gap between both. And it's very important for the public to understand that an eating disorder is a mental illness. So you don't just one day have anorexia or bulimia or an eating disorder not otherwise specified no it's it's a, a lot of criteria are put together and which make you eventually have an eating disorder what what is an eating disorder well eating disorders at large no matter which type you may suffer from 
or a range of psychological conditions that cause unhealthy eating habits to develop. They may start with an obsession with food, body weight, or body shape, but eventually it leads to a lot of suffering that handicaps the whole, your whole world, which means basically uh, someone with an eating disorder will eventually probably quit a lot of their social activities if they're at school, if they're at work, um, their relationships will suffer uh, from the eating disorder. Um, so everything around that individual will be affected. And uh, if when you say, just to get back to that, you said they'll quit activities. And uh, I, I mean, I'm asking you these questions. I know why. Yeah. But why, <laughs> and, and some people will just wonder, like, because I, I remember when I started getting more and more sick, yeah well we're noticing like oh well tam she's not the same she doesn't come around as much she doesn't go out with us as much she doesn't so can you explain why they yeah. will do kind of cut out from that social setting yeah. yeah the the so when you become uh when you have an eating disorder your whole world uh revolves around uh what are you going to eat that day um uh, you're depending on which type of disorder you might have of eating disorder you might have everything's concentrated around the eating disorder so let's say a friend invites you over well you might fear that that person will be eating in front of you and then what do you do um, you know that your habits have changed and you kind of fear that because they're not considered, they're considered abnormal, um, the judgment that might, uh, mm -hmm. or the misunderstanding of, even if it's a friend or a close family member. Um, and also this whole preoccupation takes hold of your whole mind, your body. And so it's very difficult to even take on activities that you used to be able to take on. Um, and also we'll talk about it later, but a lot of times an eating disorder comes with other mental illnesses such as depression, anxiety. And so that, um, that stops you a lot of times from doing other activities you just don't have the energy for for them anymore yeah. or you may be so um so anxious that the thought of even being around people makes you too anxious so uh, very uncomfortable absolutely and that's uh, i think that's very underestimated i i know that for me one of the first things that i started doing was you know, when I started really exercising more before that, I used to, you know, because I've always had the, the the anorexia, you know, mentally, I was very underweight at 10, 11. That's when it started. But then I kind of was always slightly underweight, but didn't realize that I was keeping my habits for, I, I, I don't know, like 20 years or something, 20 some years. And then when I really started getting sick again was when I started working out. And before that, you know, and at work, I was always, you know, 
I'm a very sociable person and I loved, you know, going to all the cocktail parties and the, the dinners after work. And, and then, you know, it, it kind of started becoming like, um, okay, well, you know, thinking about all the calories that you get from that glass of wine or, oh, if I go out after work and, and I drink, well, what if I'll be too tired to get up early to go to the gym? And it was like, it slowly started that way. And I just wouldn't go out and see people anymore because I absolutely had to ensure that I was up to go to the gym. If not, I would suffer the whole day of feeling horrible about myself of, you know, of, uh, of, of having skipped the gym or going out to have cocktails or food out and you kind of, you know, get distracted and you want to limit yourself in front of people, but you feel this pressure from everybody that everyone's eating and then you eat yourself and then you feel horrible about it. So yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it, it, it's, it's also the fact that people don't see you don't see all that like they see you sitting at the table but they don't see that in your mind there is like this constant ramble of a bunch of voices and that are tr just trying to focus on what's happening in front of you and engaging with your friends but you, you just can't that voice is just too powerful and too strong so it's like well why not just avoid all of that mm -hmm. and that's where the isolation which is a huge part of it too yeah. comes in, right yeah. Josie will be talking to us about the types of eating disorders, but just give you a quick little overview. We have anorexia nervosa, which is mainly characterized by behaviors that interfere with maintaining an adequate weight. Bulimia nervosa, nervosa which involves food restriction followed by binge eating episodes. And these are the two that are most known. There is also one called ARFID. I don't believe we really talk about it, but... It's called avoidant and restrictive food intake disorder, which in this case, many people will be surprised that it has nothing to do with any distress over the body shape or size or the fears of fatness, but that the person literally has just limiting um, food intake behaviors in the amount or types of food con consumed. And that could have a severe compromise on growth, development, and health. There is binge eating disorder which is a mental illness that could seriously affect psychological and physical health as, as well because of the recurrent episodes of eating large quantities of food. And there are other specified eating disorders that, you know, aren't, don't really have a term to them. Um, but these eating disorders, all of them are equally as serious and as potentially life-threatening as the more typical presentations. Let's dive a bit deeper now with Jose. So when you get the diagnosis, we'll look at the criteria from the DSM-5 in um, the psychology's manual. Um, okay. Okay. DSM-5. I don't know how you say it in English, but <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but basically, it evaluates. It's yes. an evaluation tool. We can yeah, just exactly. So any mental illnesses. So for example anorexia nervosa, for example, it's characterized by a mental health disorder, which is characterized by sudden weight loss as a result of intense dieting, fasting, self-provoked vomiting, the use of laxatives or excessive physical exercise. So this is not due to any 
other medical reasons, the, the weight loss, I mean. Right. Anorexia nervosa is also associated with an intense fear of weight gain as well as a distorted body image. Okay. See, it's funny, like, I just when you say self-provoked vomiting, I think a lot of people are like, isn't that bulimia? Just like, I'm sure some people are, are thinking that, but there's yeah. also that, yeah. 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 There's two types of, uh, you can suffer from anorexia and be more restrictive, or you can have uh, another form of anorexia with self-provoked vomiting, use of lax. And there are, there are yes, similarities in, in, with bulimia, but there's a lot more restriction in anorexia, as, as you'll see uh, with the characteristics of bulimia. So bulimia is a mental health disorder characterized by compulsive eating behavior. So you wouldn't see that necessarily in anorexia. It, it's not a. It's not as um, the difference really lies there. Yeah, and that binge eating. Or... Yeah, exactly. But it is always followed because we'll see the the difference between bulimia and binge eating by compensate sorry, compensatory, <laughs> compensatory measures such as intense dieting, fasting, self-provoked vomiting, excessive exercise, or more. Binge eating. Binge eating disorder is a mental health disorder characterized by the presence of periods of compulsive eating, so just like bulimia, but without compensatory, sorry, I can't say that word, <laughs> measures. <laughs> Compulsive eating is often accompanied by a feeling of a loss of control. Now, this is very important because people might say, well, I happen to have had a, uh, I don't know, a, a bag of chips and I think that's binge eating. No, it really, it, it's, with time and it develops and it becomes a mental illness. And like we explained, your whole world is around the eating food, uh, control, trying to control this feeling of loss of, um, loss of control, loss of power, that sort of thing. So it's much more than just having a bag of chips now and again. Now, if someone presents it, themselves to a to a physician or a psychiatrist and says i think i have a needing disorder but they don't fit the criteria as well they'll probably get into this other eating disorder which which are in english we say an ednos so eating disorder is not otherwise specified mm -hmm. and that includes a broad range of different disorders, eating disorders. So unspecified eating disorders include problems that don't meet the criteria of a specific eating disorder, such as anorexia, bulimia, or um, binge eating or hyperphagia. Despite this, people suffering from unspecified eating disorders can also suffer from low self-esteem and obsession with body image. They may count calories, follow weight loss diets, adopt extreme training regimens, it's important to note that these problems are just as serious as other types of eating disorders. For example, orthorexia, which is something that we've seen in the past few decades, pretty common 
now in the eating disorder world uh, or bigorexia. So orthorexia is, is characterized by someone who is very, very vigilant about what they, their food intake. So like most eating disorders, but there will be a focus on healthy eating, for example. And so they might, for example, and I'm not saying that all vegetarians are like this, but they might have a very rigid dietary way of, of eating, which puts certain foods in a category, uh, such as if you're a vegan, for example, and you're your concerns about food become obsessive and you fall, you might fall into an eating disorder, not otherwise specified. So again, it doesn't mean that if you're a vegetarian, you, you have an eating disorder. That's not what we're saying. It's just that orthorexia is like a clean way of eating. So it might include forms of vegetarianism or other forms of eating that are um, very restrictive. Yeah. And and I think the, the key word, I, well, maybe if I think about it, the, the two key words here are rigidity and the fact that, well, it's not a key word, I guess it's a key phrase that it would actually yep. take over yep. your daily functioning. So for yep. example, I knew, and you could tell me if this falls into yep. orthorexia or another, I, I guess it wouldn't be, this one wouldn't be orthorexia, but I it is an Ednos. I did know of um, someone who, uh, this person, would not was not able to have a meal mm -hmm. without absolutely knowing how much the food on the on the plate weighed okay. how many grams was on the plate yeah. so i mean and this is not to say weights like body weight the person actually didn't care about yeah. how much they weighed that's that wasn't the, the number on the scale wasn't their session yeah. It was the number on the food scale. Yeah. And so if you think about it, if this person is not allowed, because the rule in their mind, and we'll, I, we'll get to rules um, afterwards, I'm sure, but the, because there are a lot of rules in eating disorders uh, for people who don't know, um, the rule in their mind is I cannot eat until I know exactly how many grams. So you could imagine how long it takes to prepare mm -hmm. the, the food yeah. on the plate because everything has to be measured yeah so if i mean this is a process that could take about an hour or so just to be able to sit down and have the food so imagine if people had hours a day to just you know spend on weighing food no obviously this takes this yeah. interrupts your your daily activities but this person can't, could not go to a restaurant mm -hmm. this person could not go to anyone's home to eat it was all had to be controlled in her environment and weight, you know, weighing the food. And that is an, an eating disorder. And it is just another type of obsession. And, and, you know, and also you can correct me if I'm wrong, but eating disorders are a form of obsessive compulsion as well. Because it's a mental illness, it can include other forms of mental illnesses such mm -hmm. as OCD. Obsessive compulsive disorders. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't be the one who would make the diagnosis of 
someone suffering. So let's say someone's calling on our phone line. We do not offer diagnosis. We don't, we're, we're facilitators. So we will listen and treat them or listen to them as though they do, no matter what, have an eating disorder. So, so for that person that the, the one you were talking about who weighs food, a proper diagnosis would be, would be from a professional, a health professional for mm -hmm. sure. But it seems like it is a for, it would be a form of eating disorder. Um, I just want to mention also bigorexia because a lot of times we'll talk about eating disorders, how it's more female than male of an illness, which is not true. An eating disorder does not discriminate age, sex, uh, culture. So it doesn't matter what your background is, who you are as a person, anyone can develop an eating disorder. Bigorexia, mostly common in men. And the way they see it is it's kind of a reverse anorexia in the sense that they will want to build up a muscular physique. So in this sense, they want to build up their mass, their volume. In, in comparison to anorexia. So a lot of times you will find great suffering from this in this illness, for one, because it's misunderstood and because it's an eating disorder and because it's more male. Um, so again, we'll talk about stigmas attached to uh, eating disorders later on, but one of the things you can imagine as as someone who's a little bit different than the most common stereotype of someone who's from a, a, a Western background, a female, a young, those are the stereotypes. But then you, there's quite a few other people that you leave out who might be suffering from eating disorders. So this is an interesting not evolution, but in this eating disorder world, how, how we've, we've noticed this change. Okay. And I guess just so altogether, just to hit home, we do know anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder are the, are the, maybe the most prevalent ones, but there are others and there are specifications for, for each. Yes. Yeah. Okay, thank you for explaining that. So if we can just get into the causes, we touched upon it a little bit, but what are the main causes of eating disorders? Because there is also a biological aspect to eating disorders because there are people who have never even had an obsession with their weight do develop an yeah. eating disorder in, in their lives. So what, what could you tell us about that? So when someone develops an eating disorder, there are factors that are in place uh, and we call them predisposing factors and there, there's four types. So there's the individual and in that, that would be the personality of that person. For example, perfectionism or difficulty in, in, in becoming truly uh, oneself. So the identity is kind of, not sure how to form an actual identity for various reasons. 
also fear of growing older, that sort of thing. So that's individual uh, factor. Okay. The fam familial. So familial, uh, there's quite a few things that might trigger um, someone to have an eating disorder. So first of all, we looks at the we look at the family types. So really characterize like two types of families okay. one that would be chaotic or one that would be controlling so chaotic in in every sense so if there is abuse of any form or that sort of thing or it's just a very it's an environment where you're not quite sure what your role is that sort of thing a controlling well i think everyone can understand some uh, a family that is very rigid certain laws or restrictions or that sort of things that are imposed some values as well like um, for instance if we value a certain type of body and we project that value onto our our, our children well that can help trigger the uh, the eating disorder uh, other forms of dependencies if there is alcoholism or drug use it, also if there's other mood disorders so depression anxiety or other forms if there's already an eating disorder or an obsession in the family around food or body image that can also help nourish the the eating disorder yeah i guess also because you're constantly kind of exposed to it you know it's kind of like the yeah. brain kind of absorbs it and yeah. it, it's it's um it is kind of uh sad to say but i can definitely relate to, i think also in my culture we had a lot of um you know i, I grew up like it, it's sad to say and you know my family are not bad people or anything but i've always heard criticism on you know weight and oh look yeah. at her she gained weight or oh that person yeah. looks gross you know like yeah. looks like they and then just saying oh wow they look good because they lost and obviously we have that in our our culture too yeah. um but in my culture armenian culture it was very confusing because there was that whole thing of thin is better but then food is like always in your face so you you get really yeah there's a, two messages there yeah two conflicting messages yeah and it can and it's important to know that it can be from the immediate family just like it can be from outside of that circle that immediate and circle absolutely. so aunts uncles cousins that sort of thing can influence your grandparents as well your upbringing and yeah absolutely so and there's the social aspect as well that's yeah. to be considered so this idea that you know to 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 become a person who can make it in the world you kind of need to look a certain way well it's very restrictive so if you look at magazines or ads or films that are more in the main main culture not indie films or what whatnot but you'll see that the the beauty norms are, are pretty rigid and they don't include a lot of times a very inclusive uh, form of the people in society in general. So again, that can help 
a lot of people will think that that's the only aspect of an eating disorder that the people with eating disorders look at mannequins or uh, models and they want to become that person yes it can happen but that's not the main reason why someone will develop an eating disorder it will only feed again the eating disorder in in the sense that it will not help but it, it is not the main reason why someone has an eating disorder it's much more complex than that yeah i think uh if i could interject there and this is something that i really want to make clear maybe it was part of the stigmas that we would discuss but a lot of people think that people who have an eating disorder it's all about vanity and that they just want to look good it's, it's a very shallow uh, form of thinking and other people and, and also some other people might say well come on like we know that the magazines are all brushed up and stuff how that's not an excuse, you know, to develop like a disorder. But what people kind of don't understand, if I could put it another way, if I can put it personally, what I started having really a lot of obsession with my body because I was, I was not a, an overweight child in school, but I was just a bit rounder, let's say, than most other girls in my class. And I was bullied. And I, you know, I was also a lot of things. I was, a, I was not a, a confrontational person I didn't know how to put my limits you know I was just a very uh, too too nice you know of a, of a person so I got bullied a lot and it was on a daily basis it was literally every single day and I was just so wishing to look like those thin girls and I, I would go in malls and I would look at magazines and I would obsess over the, those bodies, not because I, I wanted to just look good. I just wanted so badly to look that way so that people would just leave me alone, mm -hmm. so that I would not have to go through the bullying anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big thing that people don't, don't see, you yeah. know? Yeah. 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 So the suffering comes, it's a lot more, as you explain, it's a lot more complex and deeper than just, wanting to look like a certain type of person well hopefully that'll that's something that is kind of changing too with the looks right now yeah. like i know they are they are incorporating yeah. different body types yeah yeah so hopefully that'll just get better and and better yeah and um yeah and i think it's our one of our not our main mission, but one of the mission at Aneb is really to show a diversity in all its forms. Um, and I think a lot of people are doing a lot of work to break down all the, the usual social barriers that we might have that prevent healing and prevent certain, certain people to have the same access to you know to a good life mm -hmm. um, like that it, even if you you don't fit the norms whatever norms that is because it can change absolutely um, and it has over time anyways yeah, so. yeah yeah and that's important to to know as an individual and to to be aware of that to be a little bit uh, critical of what what what's accepted right now in the society, knowing that it might just change mm -hmm. 
in a few years or even tomorrow or yeah. depending on different things. Um, so we talked about the predispose, uh, predisposing factors, but there's also pre precipitating factors. Okay. Précipitant. <laughs> Wait, it's a bilingual podcast. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. No worries. So it's actually important to note this because you might one person one individual might have all the characteristics that we just listed but things might go well in his in his or her life so the the eating disorder will not show up but if you do have something in your life that's very difficult such as a loss so it can be someone very uh, important for you who you lost or if there's an acute demand in your environment um, it can be at school it can be at, at your workplace it can be even social activities like if you're an athlete and the demands to be physically fit is constant and you're always reminded to look right. a certain way well that can that can trigger the eating disorder uh, taking into consideration that you you have all those predisposing factors that we named the sanitary crisis that we are going through right now is one of those precipitating factors so we've at taneb we saw our services climb up just like any other mental illness because it is a very anxious time uh, people are not quite certain what will happen when you know things are starting to look better but with a vaccine but things are still pretty difficult for a lot of people so if you already had those predisposing factor mm -hmm. and the crisis came up and all of a sudden you're at home uh, you're not as connected to friends and family members, then that might be a trigger for you. And I think that it doesn't help either that everybody is talking about gaining weight in confinement and everything. I mean, I know that at the beginning, it was really difficult for, for me as someone who already has, you know, who's, I'm diagnosed and I'm still in recovery. Uh, and for a bunch of my friends, I know a lot of people who did you know, who did relapse, I, I almost did, you know, I, I'm, I'm hanging on, you know, for sure. It's not perfect. It's not great. It definitely has made it more, more difficult, but I'm hanging on, but there's also people who never had this preoccupation. And yep. you said there's, this is a precipitating factor, but doesn't help that, you know, some people are posting more about how they're afraid of gaining weight than afraid of being sick or afraid, you know, it's like, the worst thing it just kind of sends this message of how this is like the, a horrible thing to happen and when you have these predispositions well you know it messes with your mind and then it, it could definitely bring up this obsession and all of a sudden poof you find yourself in this situation that you never you know and this is at an adult age too this could happen to you know, somebody who's, who's very young, but this could happen to anybody at, at any age, like you said, and yeah, they've yeah. never had this yeah. before. Yeah, we've, we've seen, we've seen cases where 
it was the elderly. I mean, it can happen. Wow. Any, oh yeah, any any time of your life. Wow. Um, yeah, for different reasons, obviously, but uh, yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, and in French, we say if you have un filet de sécurité. So if you have a security, a secure. I don't know how you'd say that. <laughs> a safety net. A safety net. Yeah. Right. So that means friends, family members, they can protect you. Um, but if you're, let's say, in a crisis like we're having right now, it's not as easy to have that access. So this is something that can that can trigger the eating disorder or make it harder for someone who's trying to recover to actually recover because you're more you're you're alone with your thoughts or more alone than you used to be you're disconnected almost from everyone i mean these are things that will only help feed the eating disorder absolutely absolutely i agree yeah i agree and i can relate yeah it's it is and and correct me if i'm wrong but does every eating disorder also start with restriction and a diet? It usually, that's usually how it happens. Yeah. Uh, low, uh, there's a, a, quite a few things, but a low, a negative body image is one of them as well. And dieting is yeah. one of the most common triggers to develop an eating disorder because when there's restriction and there's, yeah, it, and then you become almost, um, you, you live through that cycle of restriction, then eating, maybe eating too much. And then, yeah, yeah so yeah. And when you eat less one day, it's hard to eat more the, the next day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Talking about COVID, you know, some of your, we, we say we're sick of talking about COVID, but it, it really, and I've been hearing it though all around, I, I still, uh, I'm an outpatient at the Douglas and it is yeah. just, oof, yeah. the is, is, it's, yeah. it's horrible. Yeah, um, it's difficult for any, anyone who's suffering from a mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. So if we got, so let's go to, get away from the technical a little bit and really talk about maybe more emotional and trying to connect, connect with uh, people who go through an eating disorder. This is important, I believe, to bring forth for people who are going through an eating disorder to understand that they are not alone mm -hmm. uh, or some people who don't realize that they have an eating disorder mm -hmm. um, in order to, to maybe start the process of thinking about getting help, but also for people who live with or are friends with people who have yeah. an eating disorder to try and comprehend of what exactly someone with an ED, an ED we'll say an ED is going through. So tell us what what is an eating disorder really about? What is the patient, what's going on in their mind? A lot of things, uh, but mm -hmm. really- A lot of voices, a lot of noise, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, it's it, it's just that weight, to sum it up, weight, body image, anything that surrounds the eating disorder takes hold of your whole being. So there's no space for relationships, 
activities, uh, it really becomes like an obsession. And there's a lot of suffering that comes in that. You talked, you mentioned, and I think I mentioned as well, how um, people tend to isolate themselves. There's different reasons, I believe, for that. Someone with an eating disorder, there's a part of them that will understand that what they're doing is not typical or normal. So they do understand, there's a part of them that understands that the eating disorder just takes over the healthy part of that person, that individual. So it's difficult for someone who's not, who hasn't been through it to completely understand what someone suffering from an eating disorder is going through. The the mental charge that it will take and also the physical aspects as well, because it is, uh, you had mentioned on like another abuse, form of abuse, you need, your body needs to be maintained by food in order to survive. So when that, the individual has help and this can take time for different reasons when that person finally gets help there's a whole process that he or she needs to go through in order to be able to live with food in a matter that is more standard or normal or healthy it's it's almost like you have to relearn everything that you've you acquire just as a human being normally this feeling of being full or 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 feeling hungry um you have to relearn how to get in tune with that because when someone has an eating disorder all of that is put aside because you kind of want to control what you eat how you feel your needs basically your needs to to uh to have food to so it's a it's a whole process and because you got also become so disconnected from you know you you're not connected anymore to your to your body to, because yeah. you're suppressing any hunger yeah and you know most people they eat with their their appetite or they'll eat when they're hungry, when they feel hunger, or because they feel like having a piece of chocolate, but people with an eating disorder, they eat with their minds. It's, yeah. And that's where all the rules come in. You're not yeah. allowed to eat for another five hours. You're not, it doesn't matter how. And then because you, you train yourself so much in that is that you completely lose connection. Yeah. I think that's a lot of times people that well, don't you feel hungry? And it's like, I, you know, not, not, you know, and not, it's rare. Mm -hmm. Because you're just so convinced that, first of all, in my case, hunger was just bad, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I think that what people also don't realize, because you're talking about the abusive aspect, you're talking about how it takes over and why it, it takes over. The abusive aspect, literally, and it's how I describe to some of my friends, is I feel like I have a, an abusive 
because in yeah. my mind, my voice is the voice is um, male. I feel yeah. like I have an abusive partner, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. literally, who is bu bullying me and abusing me. And yes, it is constant and it is every day, every day, because unlike other, um, uh, you know, uh, addictions such as alcohol or drugs, which I'm not putting those, I'm not at all saying that mm -hmm. they are not important or as important, but food is a constant, it is just, it's not like you can go one day without food. Like, yeah, you don't, you're not exposed you need, to alcohol. Yeah every single moment of every day yeah. you feel maybe more pressure in social settings but it's it takes over so much and it's not just three times a day mm -hmm. it's not like the times when you know that you're gonna you're supposed to eat is that the second you wake up you're already planning of what you'll skip what you'll cut and also on the flip side once you when you're aware that you have an eating disorder every moment that goes by that you know you're restricting or that you know you're going to do a purge or you know that um you're you're gonna you know leave the house and walk uh, as long as you can that you're doing this because you're sick and it makes you feel another guilt as well so it's this vicious yeah. cycle and is that damned if you do damned if you don't Mm -hmm. that I feel like everybody with an eating disorder does because when you do the right thing and help yourself in terms of actually eating and being and, and feeling full and being okay with being full and you you hurt yourself because you're the voice in your head just you know it's, it's like a, a monster that's been sleeping and all of a sudden you're poking the bear and it just wants to and it says no I want to run the show here and then when you give in to the eating disorder well, then you feel, yes, you feel, you do feel a high. There is this high of, in, in uh, my case, uh, and I just say my case because I don't want to say everybody, but in a, a lot of people case, cases, there is a high of feeling the hunger, mm -hmm. like a high that you get from drugs. Mm -hmm. But you also know that you're doing the, you know, the thing that it doesn't serve you best and that, you know, it's limiting your life. And, and I read it in a book, um, called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. She said, she said, the saddest thing about mental illness for me isn't that I'm sick. It's the fact that I feel like I'm not living my best life. Mm -hmm. I'm not living my life fully. And I think that that is exactly what anyone with a mental illness and especially with eating disorders are, are, are going through. You're just not living. Yeah. You're not even able to eat properly. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think you said it well when you said that you don't feel hunger uh, because you eat with your mind. I think that's, that's uh, important to understand. And I think it makes it, it, anyways, it resonated with me when you said that because it really changes the perspective. It's not, it's not, your, it's not your body who's telling you what you want to eat it's your mind and so that that's when you understand i think how um debilitating an eating disorder can be because it's all about thinking and your mm -hmm. ideas and this the the portion of you because you're an, an individual who is suffering and that's important to understand you're not anorexic 
yes. or an individual who is suffering from anorexia or bulimia yeah. so that the the makes it two complete differences in the sense that there are moments when the individual is quite aware of what they're doing but the voice which is the eating disorder talking will take over yeah and i think that by and that's very important for you to say a lot of people say oh she's anorexic or he's bulimic or but it it's it's it makes you feel like you are the illness but that's not true mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like no one is a depressive or an anxietic or you know no it's it's an illness that is not it's not you it literally takes over your your body yeah. it's like hijacks your your body and it's and there are two and it's it's actually it is very important in terms of recovery mm -hmm. to be able to separate those two yeah for sure so please yeah. people whoever's listening <laughs> if somebody uh, in your life is suffering of an eating disorder they are not the eating disorder uh, it's very important to understand that and i know that it's hard because it's you know you're talking to the person you're not talking to to the person you know the voice inside their head but i tell my friends i say like if i'm sitting on a at a table with a friend i say there aren't just two of us eating here there's someone sitting next to me constantly yeah. trying to get me to put my fork down you have to understand that yeah that is not me yeah yeah and i think it puts power to the sufferer when you when you can distance the sufferer from the illness absolutely it's very important as much for the people who are surrounding or are helping that individual but also for the individual so they can understand that there's a way out you don't have to be like that you don't have to have your eating disorder an eating disorder serves a purpose, yes, but you can find ways with help um, to overcome that and maybe find tools that are healthier for you to cope with whatever you're going through. So there's a way out. It's really important as much, I think, for the public, but also for individuals who are suffering to understand that you are more than your eating disorder yeah absolutely so why why is it though that so many people with an eating disorder are never diagnosed um i think the answer is very complex because it's not just one answer well first of all it can be as simple as the person is not ready to get help that that person the eating disorder might feel a need that is so great that that individual might not be wanting help right away. What do you mean by that when you say that the eating disorder, because you all said it before, that eating disorder does serve a purpose and that yeah. you feel a need for this eating disorder. What, what yeah. do you mean by this? An eating disorder is a way of coping. So coping with difficult situations, experiences, or emotions. So if you're taking that away from the, the individual, that um, it might be too much for the person. Mm -hmm. So for example, let's say 
the young person is living in a family where we saw all the criterias like so they have the four predisposing factors and they they are living still living under their parents roofs and the there's um i don't know let's say the there's not a lot of the communication is not so great in the family there is abuse forms of abuse um it can be psychological or whatever mm -hmm. well that individual their way of coping might be with the eating disorder because or else it might the emotions that they are feeling or the experience that that they've had is just too much for that person to cope with without any without help so that help became the eating disorder and like i mentioned they they already had the predisposes uh disposing factors so it's not just uh, it's not just anyone who of course like we mentioned before who will develop the eating disorder so it might be the individual themselves mm -hmm. afterwards there's quite a few reasons and, and why if I someone interrupt you sorry for yeah. just one second i think you said something it's how they cope Mm -hmm. And I think that if I could make it uh, more relatable to the audience who yeah. doesn't know what this is, is just like some people cope with smoking cigarettes yeah. or having a drink or yeah, you know, for sure. develop yeah. into yeah. Yeah. addiction, yeah. it's the, the, this, the same thing. I know that for me, when I was young and, and when I was... I'm, Oh, hold on, I'd like to think that I'm still young. So when I was very, very young um, and, being, and being bullied at school and yeah. not feeling like I was good enough, I felt like the only way I could control that outcome yeah. was by controlling my food intake. And it, it's, yeah. like I, it's like I felt good because I felt like weight, weight loss and restriction was something that I was actually good at. I felt like I wasn't good at anything else. Yeah, especially not God dodgeball was the worst and gym class was the worst getting chosen last all the time then getting that ball in your face all the time too was yeah. just awful so I mean like that's how I felt like I was taking control and in my the latter part of my life when about it was in 2000 and I guess 13 when I really started going back down it was like you know I, I had gotten promoted at work I was super busy I had a lot of stress yeah. I had a lot of pressure in my family. I was worried about my mom. I was having, mm -hmm. you know, problems with my partner. And I just felt like I had no, no balance. There was no space for, for me at all. And it, it, you know, it became like, that was just my way of being able to feel like I had some kind of a, okay, yeah. the kitchen, the gym, that's what I'm good at. That's where I'm at. And yeah. that, that, and then it, you know, it just went really downhill after yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. It could. Yeah. Uh, so if people wonder, well, cause some people say, why don't you want to like go of your eating disorder? Like why, why do you need it? And I say, you don't understand. It is a security blanket. Yeah, it is all sense of security. Yeah. 
Yeah, even though it's we like there's parts of that individual who knows that they 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 they're not using um, a tool that's healthy, but it serves a purpose. Mm-hmm. So, but there are other reasons for not getting a right diagnosis or not getting diagnosed. Um, it can be as simple as where you live. Um, and unfortunately, if you're if you live uh, in areas where there's lot not lots of services, and where people are not as uh, familiar with eating disorders, they just might not get the right diagnosis, unfortunately, which is why it's important for organizations such as us, but also the NEDIC, National Eating Disorder Information Center, where people from outside big cities can access services that are specified for people with eating disorders because yeah, because or else it's just, uh, you know, you might, for example, you, a person might be treated for depression, but the underlying m- or main illness might be the eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it will it will help the individual, but if that individual is not helped for their eating disordered habits and all that goes with it, then the the treatment for the actual eating disorder will take a long longer time and it will be more difficult for that person to to actually get the the help that they require so it can be as simple as that um there are other reasons like more social ones and that that's more it's related to your other questions which which goes with stigmas and judgments a lot of yeah yeah, there's a lot of uh, people who don't necessarily understand well what are eating disorders might be prone to say that it only affects certain types of people so women only women only youth only Westerners. Well, that's not the case. And I I think that we made that very clear today. But again, you if imagine if you're a man who has bulimia, who's been suffering from bulimia for several years, and you come from a family where you just don't, you're not, um, it's not encouraged to speak about your emotions or what you're feeling or whatnot then that individual will find it very difficult to even acknowledge to someone else, uh, a friend, family member, and a health professional Mm -hmm. that they have an eating disorder. So that might also affect the fact that you might or might not have the correct diagnosis and help that you require. Yeah, I think for men too, there's a, there is like a, I mean, I do feel like it's, it is getting better, but there's always that, you know, stigma on men that they're not supposed to show emotion, you know, that they're supposed to fix things, that they're supposed to be strong, you know, and I'm saying this quote unquote, you know, like with my fingers, no one can see me, but basically, um, and I think that it's, it's, it's sad because it just represses a lot 
in men, it, it can also, that could also be a cause of them acting violently or, or in, in anger as well. Uh, and there's also a big prevalence of eating disorders as well in, you know, LGBTQ yep. community. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think anyone who doesn't fit the, the criteria that are usually uh, identified with someone who has an eating disorder, it will be even more difficult for that person to even accept or acknowledge that they can receive help. Uh, imagine if you're an older man, uh, homosexual, or, you know, so you have different identities that make it even harder for you to to get the help that you should receive uh, that's very important as well to to acknowledge as a society in order to help you know end those those preconceived notions that we might have of someone who has an eating disorder. So it's not just young Western women, but anyone. Yeah. And yeah, that's very important for everyone to recognize. And what about the notion of, uh, and I guess I'm speaking from experience here as well, of people who aren't diagnosed because the person themselves doesn't even realize that they have an eating disorder. So, you know, for example, in, in my case, I had, you know, I thought after, you know, when I was super young and I had anorexia at 10, 11, and within a year or so, I was kind of like weight restored. I thought I'm cured. And that's what everybody else thought too, even though the the, the obsessive thoughts and the, a lot of the, um, comment on dit, les comportements, yeah. they continued. But I didn't realize that those were actually eating disorder behaviors. I thought that they were just, and then when I, I feel like when it became more visible uh, after I, I, when I turned 30, I think it was 32 and I started losing a, a lot of weight and it became a bit more visible to other people. Um, I didn't, I still, I, I feel like it's like this sneaky disorder that just tries to fool you because when I finally came to terms and I realized, you know, and I couldn't even say I have an eating disorder. I said, I, I, I realized there's something weird between me and, and food, like my relationship with food. And I spoke to my sister about it who was the first person. And she, you know, she said, Oh, finally, I'm so glad you, you said it because I've been wanting to talk to you for years. And okay. a lot of people that I was telling were like, yeah, yeah, we just didn't know how to say it. So even as the individual who has it doesn't even realize, and how could you ever get diagnosed if you don't even realize that you have a problem? Yeah. It's very, yeah. very, it is a very, very sneaky disorder. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, obviously if you've had an eating disorder, you're more prone to have it again, mm. uh, or more sensitive or more prone. I I'd say, um, I think it's a, it's a 
it's good to be aware of, of our behaviors, our changes in our behaviors, so that we become very conscious of, you know, what is the limit between, uh, okay, this is this, my behaviors are, are, are very preoccupying, or is it just, you know, some, some, some concern that I, I know will get resolved once this in my life is resolved, you know, it can be, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, um, but yeah, uh, obviously it can, it can be, um, there can be uh, relapses, but you can also, it's important also to note that you can fully recover from an eating disorder. So yes, yes, it can be difficult, but there you can, you can recover. Let's bring hope to this conversation. Oh, yeah, there will be hope. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. We're, we're saving hope for the end. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> okay, so well, um, if we, so now if we move on, I know we did kind of touch upon this throughout the interview, but can you tell us some of the main stigmas and judgments on? Eating disorder and eating disorders and how hard it really is to live with an eating disorder. So it's uh, there's there's a lot of work that's been done in terms of creating awareness for the general public on mental illnesses and eating disorders, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And because it's a mental illness, uh, so something that you can't see. There, there's still preconceptions or judgments on um, what is an eating disorder and, and how someone who's afflicted with an eating disorder might be. And they don't understand the extent of the, the disease. So as we had mentioned, the, when you have an eating disorder, there's, there's elements, there's predisposing factors and a precipitating factors. So we know that there are a lot in place that make a, a person have or uh, become afflicted with an eating disorder. Most people don't know that. So it's not just, some people might think that it's just a matter of eating or not, or stopping um, or changing your um, eating habits, but it's so much more than that. Um, yeah, because it is as, as much as, everyone thinks it's really about the food, but it's, it's not really about the food. And I know it's hard to explain that. Obviously the food is a big part of it, but it's just like the kind of the channel of the control that comes with the, it's just the type of thing that the person can control as a way of coping with all the underlying issues that, that they have. And it doesn't make sense either. Like some people have a rule that they, they're not allowed to eat carrots, but they're allowed to have a piece of chocolate. And it's, 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 it's all these rules that uh, I think that's like a big thing is that people don't realize the rules, you yeah. know, that, that it's like, you're kind of living in this prison. You're not free to do whatever you please, whenever you, you please. It's like, if you don't follow the rules, you're punished, you know, so to speak. Uh, mentally yeah exactly 
Yeah. And a mental illness, so it, I mean, it says it and it's, it's just as, as we speak about it, it's, it's so much more than just a question of changing your eating habits or eating a little bit more or a little bit less. Uh, because it's a mental illness, it requires a lot of, uh, a lot of help from professionals, health professionals. And so it's not just a matter of someone lacking in French, you say la volonté. Um, yeah, the will. The will, exactly. The desire, you know. Exactly, to recover. It's not that easy. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I think the hardest thing for me is, and I, and I know this for uh, a lot of people, if I, if I just speak about anorexia, is that, they just expect you to be okay if you reach your healthy weight. And mm -hmm. if you don't, if they don't see you at the healthy weight or have gained a good amount of weight, they think that you haven't progressed at all, which mm -hmm. is absolutely untrue because you, there's so much work to be done on the inside uh, for it to actually, you know, catch up maybe on the outside and it's vice versa somebody could have their healthy weight but if they haven't advanced enough in their mind or you know to understand themselves and to understand disorder and to work through everything that needs to be worked through their risk of relapse is quite high yeah so it and it does so that doesn't mean that they're actually good because now that they have a healthy weight yes obviously for sure physically if you think of a physical health of course you know mm -hmm. but it doesn't solve, it's not just about the, the appearance on the outside. It doesn't solve uh, everything. And that's why I said it a few times uh, throughout the podcast is, you know, when I, uh, when I was 10, 11 and I had anorexia, once I regained kind of like uh, healthy weight, everyone was like, cool, she's gone, she's done. But it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's in the mind. It's not a physical illness. It's a mental illness that has, a lot of physical repercussions. Yeah. That's a big, big thing that people need to undo. And it, and it, people also need to understand that it makes the person who's fighting feel like their efforts are just not enough just because they mm -hmm. don't visually show something that the other person in front of them yeah. expects, you know? Yeah. It's hard to make somebody, I understand why it's difficult for them to understand. And it's, it's difficult to, to give that message and to make people understand. So I think you have to be strong-minded as much as you can to, despite what people say, just keep going and listen to the experts who are there guiding you and coaching you through the disorder. Yeah, and it's important to know that there might be relapses. It doesn't mean that the, the person isn't is it on, on the right path or, or to recovery. It's just that there, you know that 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 this needs to be taken into consideration it's not just a black and white situation mm, yeah and, and unfortunately the society we live in you know doesn't really value all the strength that 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 goes into someone who's who's recovering from an from an illness a mental illness like an eating disorder so all these strengths that are not necessarily uh, known 
are within that that individual and it's not yeah it's a series of little steps and those little steps are really important to note as an outsider but as well as someone who's suffering uh and it can be very little you know uh and when i say little i'll try to give an example like let's say uh well for the first time you're able to actually sit down with someone else and have a meal well that's an important step mm-hmm. it might not look like a lot for someone looking in from the outside but but it is yeah. or someone who's ready to get into a therapy well that's again for someone on the outside that might not look like a very important thing Mm -hmm. but it is for someone who's who's suffering yeah i could i could also give a a small example is that i used to be afraid to touch a bottle of olive oil Mm -hmm. just to you know getting the oil on my hands it was really hard for me but now i'm able to do it without of course there's always a little thought but but for other people just grabbing a bottle of olive oil is like they don't even think about it you know so when you when so when you see somebody able to take a bottle uh, someone with an eating disorder who used to not be able to do that do that well it is progress Mm -hmm. and i think that what is a difficult i think it it, is is common for several um or, or just across any mental illness is that it's not linear the effort you put in doesn't give you the the results in the same way um you could put in 110 percent and you can get a one percent return back you know mm-hmm. but it's all of those little that's just it's super hard to you have to fight really hard and really long you know mm-hmm. uh, but it's all those little like you said all those little steps that add up to the the progress mm-hmm. so we were but Ian, you were saying you know uh relapses there's always i don't want to say there's always a risk but it it is a high it is prevalence relapse does happen like uh, quite often i recall the first time i went into treatment uh it was at the douglas in their in uh, their first one of the programs that they had at, before i i actually went into inpatient and everybody was kind of introducing themselves and 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 everyone was saying this is my second program this is my fourth this is my fifth and it, myself and this other uh patient we were the only ones that it was our first time and i was like why i thought i was coming here to do a four-month treatment and i'm going to be okay after this mm. and it really surprised me i said and at this point i really didn't know what i was the monster i was dealing with right it was just the beginning of my process of why are so many people how why have people done this so often so i guess at least to my next question is that why is it so difficult to get out of an an eating disorder why mm-hmm. well the the eating disorder can can become so much part of you it's it's part of your identity of who you are but also because it's a mental illness it can totally affect who you are and disable you 
to, to be cured or to recover or because it's so, so difficult. So the chronic part of the eating disorder, it's simply because it becomes part of your, your, your whole mindset, your, your, um, also your habits are, they, they're so inside of you that it's very difficult to break away from how you've been either eating or either your, your habits. So it's, um, that can be part of that question and and an answer. Um, obviously if you get treatment, the faster, the better. Yeah. Um, that's for sure. And in terms of ages as well, like if you've, if you started your eating disorder as a young person and you, you were in therapy right away, then you have a better chance of, of recovering. It's not to say that you can't recover if you're an adult who's been struggling with an eating disorder for years, but it might be a little bit difficult, more difficult. Right. And something that surprises a lot of people, and I wonder what your say is about, uh, what, what you would have to say about this, is when I, I say or when people say um, my eating disorder is like a security blanket for me. It keeps me safe. And people, they look at you like, you're crazy. Sorry to use the word, but this is how they look at you. Like, what do you mean it keeps you safe? So what, what do you have to say uh, about that? Because I think that's a big factor of why it's so hard to get out of it as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the eating disorder started in your life because, or someone, when I say your life, someone's life in yeah. general, because um, they were living through difficult, either difficult emotions or a difficult situation that was very, very, uh, very difficult to live with. And so the eating disorder becomes kind of like a, yeah, like a security blanket, something that, that you can trust that you can, you know, that will be there for you and so that factor uh, makes it even as you mentioned more difficult to overcome the eating disorder because it's it's kind of like a friend even though you know that the eating disorder is not really helping you in in some ways it's very unhealthy in a way it does appease certain emotions or it, it you know and it can serve different different purposes. For example, it can be uh, a way of rebelling against a very difficult controlling environment, or it can be um, a a way to be assertive. It can also be, uh, you know, so it can serve different reasons for um, different people, but the underlying uh, reason would be to deal with emotions and to deal with difficult situations. So yes, it, that that becomes even greater uh, of a challenge to get rid of the, you know, eating disorder. Yes, and in 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 my case, and I and you know, it's just also for for the audience as well. When I bring up my uh, what happened to me is to kind of give people like some kind of a 
an idea of what could go through someone's mind with an eating disorder uh, or just to have like a more concrete concrete example but for myself you know i just was somebody who had so much responsibility on my back but was not able to say no yeah it's like i didn't have my voice yeah. and so it's like i had to show like when i was emaciated no one asks you for help because they think that you can't even sustain Mm -hmm. your body and I actually started truth be told I, I started at one point as much as I did want to get out of the eating disorder I also wanted to stay because I was afraid and I, I wasn't strong enough uh, then when I say strong enough in term I mean in terms of you know uh, advanced enough in my progress that I, I wanted to stay sick because I was afraid of well, once I start looking healthy, everyone's going to want a, something from me again, yeah. you know. Thankfully, now I use my voice and I'm not afraid to say no or put my mm -hmm. limits. But that could be, that's one example of how it is, it does become a security. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, now people are just leaving me alone. Yeah. And like, woof. Yeah. yeah. So it, in a way, it protected you against people taking advantage or... And I know I'm not the only one. I've heard other, yeah, other patients say the same, uh, the same thing that I just said. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it's no, it's no uh, secret that there's a lot of mental suffering in mental illness and in eating disorders. Um, to, I think it's important that we talk about this because I don't think many people are obviously it's it's not an easy subject to talk about but i think that it's important that we do talk about the suicide rates mm -hmm. for for eating disorders mm -hmm. so what can you tell us about uh, a few facts on that yeah uh, well it's still in for eating disorders it's still ranked number 1 in terms of deaths in for mental illnesses the main reason there's two reasons. It's either physical complications, so heart failures most of the times, especially if you're restricting, so anorexia. Uh, but also the suicidal rates are pretty high as well. I have to take into consideration that it is a mental illness, so it 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 means that the person who's who has an eating disorder is is suffering, and they might also have connected to the eating disorder another mental illness such as depression and so that makes them even more at risk uh, of either suicide attempts or actual suicides mm -hmm. yeah it's a it's an important factor to consider um, and it's not something to take lightly that's why awareness in, in the public in general is, is really important to prevent deaths either related to physical complications or suicide are prevented. Yeah, I think, yeah I think that, uh, you know, people get frustrated a lot with you uh, when you have an eating disorder. And you know, to them, it's like, well, why can't you just snap out of this already? And why can't you eat? And why can't you? 
as hard as it is for people around us, we also feel, you know, when, when you feel like maybe you're on your way to doing better and then all of a sudden you have a relapse or you have a panic attack or you sometimes to, you just say, well, I'm, how am I ever going to see a day where I'm going to be able to just get up and breathe and just be grateful that I'm here without thinking about what am I going to have for lunch? What am I going to have for this? I have to cut here because yesterday I ate this and how much do, you, do I weigh? And for us too, it's extremely discouraging. And sometimes you just think you want to stop your own suffering, but you also feel like you're a burden to everybody around you because they make you feel bad. It's not their intention necessarily, but it's, it's a big, um, it's a big, weapon that the eating disorder uses it uses guilt and shame a lot mm-hmm. against you and so i think it's so important for people around people with eating disorders to know that this is not just about looking good quote unquote yeah. because yeah, anyways no matter how, no matter how skinny you are it's never enough for the eating disorder whatever it is, or, or no matter how many purges you can do, like in a, a certain amount of time, it's still not good enough. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, given this, how do people get help? How do people who have the illness get help? And for the people around them, it's extreme, which I find is extremely important mm-hmm. because people need to understand that there is a certain way to be or a certain way to handle this situation. And I know it's extremely difficult for people who love you, who are going, you know, who see you going through this. They don't, they also feel quite helpless. So what can you um, recommend for that? So the most important thing is to talk. If you're suffering is to talk to someone that breaks the, this idea that you're alone and i think someone who has a a mental illness who has an eating disorder already feels so so alone that to simply speak aloud about what's going on either and someone someone that they can trust so a close friend or a close family member or it can be anyone it doesn't really matter as long as that person they have confidence in that person and what and if then it's, oh sorry uh, no go ahead and what if they're not very well surrounded and they don't have somebody in their immediate circle that they could they feel they can open up to yeah we, well we're there we're uh aneb organizations such as aneb there's quite a few uh throughout canada so depending on where you are exactly um aneb is is uh, national I, I mean it's it's quebec it's in quebec but anyone uh can call can call us they can call us they can reach us on our phone line our helpline and reference but they can also uh, do other forms of connection through texting or mm-hmm. chatting there's different ways depending on how uh, what how you're comfortable communicating your your suffering so it doesn't have to be in person or um, ideally you would though get a 
go see a professional, a health professional. There needs to be a follow-up. We are there to help and we offer different services such as the ones that I mentioned. And we also have support groups. And obviously there's hospitals in, in big cities across Canada who can also help and who will offer um, in, inpatient or outpatient services. But the, the, first, the first thing, once you've spoken about the, the fact that you have an eating disorder, is to get the correct help. So, and often it's a multidisciplinary team of, of experts who will help you. So medical, psychological, maybe nutritional, uh, maybe family therapy, maybe group therapy. Uh, mm -hmm. These are all important treatments and services that, that will help you. You had uh, your second question was how people around the person who's, who has an eating disorder, how they can approach that, that person. Yes. And, and uh, just to go back to something you said, when yep. you, said you have support groups, do you also have support groups for the friends and family as well, or it's just for the patients? We do. We do have uh, open and closed support groups for, for family or friends because the illness can, can take a lot of space, especially if that person is living, the individual with an eating disorder is living in the same household as, as other people, other family members or friends, the eating disorder can take a lot of a place. So it, it's important for the support system of that person, sorry, <laughs> to yeah. get the correct help. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Since we mentioned this, it's also important for people who are helping the the person who is suffering from an eating disorder to understand that they have limits as well. So not to take on too much res responsibility to t let health professionals or other services like, like Aneb take over a little bit so that they don't feel burdened by the, that aspect. You mean that, like not feel like they, they're not able to do enough yeah, and they, it, it might just take so much space in their life that they, they completely forget their own needs. Um, and obviously, we don't want that. We, yeah. we want to continue. We want to make sure that that person is still, can still offer some support for the person who's suffering from an eating disorder. So it's important that they keep their strengths as well. Yeah, um, I actually always say that people who are helping others in these kind of situations they also have to they really have to take care of themselves in this because it yeah, also affects sure. people around yeah. Yeah. so they have to be they have to do that in order to be able to actually be there for the other person because yeah. it could actually hinder the other person the person yeah, exactly. and themselves yeah 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 it's it's uh, it's important to set limits you know, of, of how much, how much help you can actually offer that, that person uh, without, without letting yourself go. Mm -mm. And to be realistic as well, because you're not going to fix the other person, you know? Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, and to simply understand also what the the what what is an eating disorder. I think the first thing uh, also is to get information on what is an eating disorder, mm -hmm. and uh, maybe specifically on the type of eating disorder that your friend or family member might be going through, so that you have a better understanding of what it is exactly that that person is going through. It, it will help you to, well, better understand it, the eating disorder, but mm, better understand also the person and what they're living through. Yeah, absolutely. So and The best way to approach someone is always, uh, we really see it as you have to be comfortable. So you have to be in the mindset to bring up, uh, to to be able to talk to the the person who's suffering sin, ideally it would be in a setting that both both parties are comfortable in. So I don't know, it can be it can be anywhere, but certainly like a moment where both both parties have enough time that you don't feel stressed about time. The environment is in, is very uh, appropriate for it. Uh, discussion so obviously not in a crowded area <laughs> not at meal times you know not no. not anything that can bring up more anxiety for for both parties mm -hmm. and and also it's important to try not to start a conversation on 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 uh, weight or food but more on on your preoccupation with how that person how you've seen that person maybe more uh, become more sad or you know isolate themselves so your own thoughts and feelings on what's going on uh, for example you might say um I've noticed lately that, you know, you don't participate as much in whatever activity or that sort of thing. So it approaches the, you, you approach the person with more delicacy. You're not going heads on into the, the subject and you're open to have a discussion and right. um, yeah. And it makes them feel maybe a little less, they would be a bit less on the defense as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I think that it is something, I know I have some friends who, who, who told me like, we just want to know what to do. You know, okay. we want to know what yeah. to do. We just want to, if we could have a list of like the, the best things to do or the, you know, and I've tried, you know, like to communicate what is best and what is not, because it's not the same for, for everybody. But I think it's important to know for everyone out there that there are organizations like yours who are fully aware and fully consider the impact that it could have on, on them and that they do need to also kind of be taken by the hand to be shown yeah, so that's very encouraging to, to to be able to have access to that. And we will be putting all of the information of Aneb. I'm I'm going to be posting that on uh, on the on the podcast uh, page, so everybody, you guys could go and check that out afterwards. Uh, so if we, uh, so in a way to close, let's talk about recovery. Mm -hmm. So can, how? So obviously, we do know 
it might seem impossible sometimes to the person who's going through it, but there is recovery is possible and there are people who do recover. Yes, for sure. Um, and that's, that's important to note for, uh, especially the people who are suffering right now from an eating disorder there, you can, you can recover from an eating disorder. It doesn't have to be a lifetime suffering and, and obviously take into consideration your, what you're going through right now, you might see that, uh, it is possible or not, but just to know that the, you can recover. There are a lot of people who have recovered, who live very healthy, normal, quote unquote, lives without the eating disorder it is possible i really feel though that you need help you can't do that on your own because you already have so much to do you kind of need you need support and and lots of courage and and not forget that baby steps are very important so any any good work is worth mentioning and if you have a setback don't forget that it's not black and white you can always there's always another day the next the next day so it's always it's not a black and white recovery it's not you're you're gonna go through very easy uh more easy i should say days Mm -hmm. but and difficult ones and it's important to put that into perspective and also to maybe to read up on people who have recovered and what was their there's no unfortunately there's no one way of recovering because everyone's different and their struggle is different there's no correct way and i think i think it's difficult for for someone who's suffering from an eating disorder but also for for other people to understand that the unfortunately there's no <laughs> how no can problem. i say <laughs> it can't be no to follow <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah there's no right solution yeah. <laughs> um uh it really depends on some so many factors yeah. um is is very important yeah, and there are some people I know who do just external intervention for a couple of months and they're, they, they're okay. And then there are people who go back to inpatient several times, you know, I mean, it's, it, it really does depend. But I think it's important to know that when we're talking about setbacks and everything, and I really want people also who are around people with eating disorders, if you have someone who, ha- who is has bulimia and they have not purged in months and it happens um, or someone who has anorexia who gained a certain amount of weight and at one point had like lost some weight or one day skipped a meal it doesn't mean relapse Mm -hmm. it does not mean that it's relapse it's just like anybody else that has a bad day we have a bad day and it doesn't mean relapse Thank you very much for this interview. Thank you. It was very, very important to me, of course. Uh, And I think that it's, uh, I hope that it'll just reach out to people and that people will know more about the eating disorder and that people 
hopefully, who may have wanted to reach out for help will now consider it a bit more. And, uh, and I think one of the great things of our uh, generation is um, the texting does, I, I think it helps people reach out because they don't have to make a call and have their voice heard. Like if they're scared or reluctant, it's start, it could start with a text, you know, it's a lot more accessible. Yeah. Uh, so I really yeah. do hope that uh, people will, hopefully you'll get a few more, more calls because of this uh, interview and we can help a bit people a little, uh, uh, people a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, and, and rem remember as well, we don't discriminate, so it doesn't matter what age you are, which sex you are, what you identify as, your culture, it really doesn't matter to us. Uh, we treat everyone like, like they are suffering, and I think that's important as well. Wonderful. Thank you, Jose. Thank you, Tamar. Thanks for having me. Oh, <laughs> all the best. So a few very important last words here before we close the podcast. I truly enjoyed my interview with Jose. Um, I think every interview that I do is, of course, special. But this one, yeah, this one, as I had said in the beginning of the podcast, was the big one for me. I think back of all the times that I went through so much turmoil because of this illness that I still have some of those moments. I think of all the times that I had arguments with my friends or with my family or with my ex-partner because of it. Think of all the moments that I would just sit on my own and just look at the world around me and just feel like, I just feel like I wasn't made to be here. How could you live in a world where your biggest fear is to do something so fundamental, which is to eat and to nourish yourself? I still can't believe where I am today sometimes. There are moments when I didn't think I was going to make it. And to be sitting here today and talking to you all and conveying this message is more than I thought I would ever be able to do. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast as well, is to show all of you out there who are going through this that there is a way and that there is hope. I've come to a place in my life where I don't believe that this will ever be something I never ever think about, but I don't want to forget it either because it is a part of my life. It's a big part of my life that I've learned from, but it is not my life and it is not my identity. I take a pause here and I think of all the people who have been in and out of my life in the past few years especially. And how much I've tried to forgive myself for treating myself in a disrespectful, disrespectful manner, mistreating my body, for not being kind to myself. And I try every day to forgive myself. I forgive all of the people who have also judged me, misunderstood me, 
and made me feel guilty or less than because of the illness out of their own anger and frustration. I forgive them. I especially forgive my ex-partner as well, especially him. And I feel much more liberated today than I ever have, even though I still do struggle sometimes. Actually, there's a thought every day, let's not lie, but God, do I have much more freedom than I used to. I'll leave you guys today with an anecdote of something monumental that happened to me in the last few years from a complete stranger. I was at, I believe it was the Betape in the old port, uh, meeting up with one of my friends, uh, Anna, and um, we were just sitting at the table and uh, all of a sudden, you know, there was a few people at the table and some people left uh, at one point and uh, all of a sudden there was a waiter who came up to me and who gave me a note and he said, uh, I'm sorry, he's like the girl who was sitting here before gave me this to give you. And I looked at him really surprised and I did notice that there was a girl who was sitting very close to where I was who had gotten up and left. So I took the note and I have it right here and I've saved it since then and I'll always save it till the end of my days. And the note says, uh, to the girl, human, person, woman, etc., with red hair. I used to have red hair. Now it's it's pink, but I used to have red hair for those who've known me for a while. And I open the letter, and she has a drawing of a flower that she writes for you. And this is what she told me in the letter. Pain is to create space for more love. You are seen, you are loved, you are necessary, things will be okay. And she signed off with a heart. I hope one day to meet this girl. Maybe we're not meant to meet, but if ever one day you're listening to this podcast, please reach out to me. That's what I want to let all of you know. You are loved, you are whole, you are worthy, and you are enough. Thank you very much for being here, and I'll see you next time.